Holy sh**. That's the only cuss word that's getting bleeped. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Said it never flies. Stars belong in the heavens, honey, not in your eyes. In practical me, they said I'd never keep it. My nose in a book in the clouds off my feet. It's time to look outside of yourself and your own struggles and gain some new perspectives because these folks are going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. Hey there, folks. I'm Matt. I'm Joe. And I'm LeJohn. And this is the Going There Podcast. What about me? No one's going to say anything about me. Hey, I'm Hassan Rogers. What's up? (laughs) We welcome Hassan back to the show. You guys probably remember him from one of our earliest episodes on white privilege, For a lot of the issues we've discussed on this show when it comes to bigotry and bias, they tend to stem from our culturally inherited view of the white patriarchy. You know, racism, anti-Semitism, xenophobia, uh, religious persecution, even classism. So to an extent, what I think makes our societal issues with homophobia and transphobia somewhat unique is that they seem to vary from race, gender, religion, and community. As the white Protestant male here, I usually have to shoulder a lot of the blame for these problems, (laughs) which is fine. It's my responsibility in this circle. But the oppression of the LGBTQ plus community and people comes from so many different angles. Today, I want us to unpack these things together, sharing our own views, our journeys, our experiences, and even our faults. I'll start the conversation by saying that the WASPy culture, if you will, has shown some progress. And obviously, we still have a far, far way to go here. But I've witnessed the needle moving a little bit over the past few decades, at least more so for this issue than for racism or feminism, which have been almost stagnant over the past hundred years or so. In the white community, if there is such a thing, I think it's mostly found in the religious, noxious, religious or political circles, as opposed to the mainstream white community. I've shared before on the show about witnessing conversion therapy in church or hearing far-right propaganda on why homosexuality was wrong. And recently, I got an email. It was a newsletter from the Ohio Christian Alliance, and it was listing all the reasons that the H.R. 5 bill for the Equality Act was anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-family. It mentioned that little boys dressed up as girls wanting to play their sports was going to just ruin our country and ruin our kids. After reading it, I textually assaulted the sender. (laughs) (laughs) But then I took a step back and I took a deep breath and I realized that, you know, this is a problem that's so much bigger than just me or even this one community. And me just lashing out at the person saying this was not helping. If anything, it probably pushed this person even further into their own stance. So it's just something that we need to talk about. We're going to take some callers here today to tell their stories from the LGBTQ plus viewpoint. But first, I want to talk to you guys about what you've experienced from your own viewpoints and what you've seen through your own lenses. Hassan, do you want to start us off? Well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, One thing that going there has going for it is that it's not afraid to uncover the uncomfortable truths. What happens with homosexuality in the black community? How is it perceived? Are they still ostracized? Are they still vilified and demonized? Uh, what, what effect does that have on the families of those who are actually going through these things? There are people in the black community that don't like the LBGTQ plus community piggybacking the civil rights movement. What has become, I think, more of a recent acknowledgement is the transphobic yes. kind of thing, which I is... Think the- the more we can talk about this thing and talk about those who walk a different truth than ours, we give them validity and they get a chance to state their case and they need to be heard. Absolutely. So, yeah, that that is interesting that that happens. Look, we're all still learning, right? Like, I, I mm-hmm. even I have my own 
prejudice that I'm trying to come to terms with on a daily basis. Mm. But now is the time, I think, where we all kind of like put it out there. Personally, and I don't even know if it's like a good thing to say I don't personally have experience, but of course I have experience from the outside looking in, if that makes sense. And um, one thing in the black community, especially with, with our young men and with men and our young boys, it's toughness. We got we to gotta be tough. We got to be strong. You know what I mean? We got to show toughness. We got to show that we ain't no punk. We ain't no bitch. You know what I mean? It's almost unconscious. It's conscious and almost unconscious because it's something that you know. You know I don't want to show my big brother that I'm a punk. I don't want to show my, my dad that I'm a punk and everything. Um, or, or even my, 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 my siblings, my little ones. And with that mindset, it's almost like... Um, it had the fear has to come in if you are of uh, whatever type of category. I guess we're talking about here, man. How am I being perceived? And I guess what I'm getting at is the perception. Perception in the black community has to be hard for those um, lesbian, gay, trans, whatever. There has to be a fear. And me personally, like when I had my son, it's, it's like um, you know. We we joke around with hey listen man no, make sure you make sure you put a football in that crib you know what I'm saying to let them know hey this is what it is and and it's, I'd be a liar if we all sit here and say that I didn't hope that he didn't become you know uh, a, a gay young man or whatnot and everything was I gonna love him regardless unconditionally unequivocally it didn't matter but that well, you perception you know you don't want somebody's life to be harder exactly. you know and if you love them exactly. Exactly. you're also like well I understand that mm-hmm. you have. Um, a mountain of hardship ahead of you. Sure. Though. So I, yeah. I do hope that it will be easy because I will be dead and old and my <laughs> knees hurt and I need someone to take care of me. Exactly. Can exactly. you please be a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. And, and that's that's a good point. And, you know? and I want to say this from the white male in the room. Thank God. The white straight male in the room who, d- I mean, I just don't get to talk enough. Um, <laughs> no, this is not coming from a place of judgment because if anything, I think that because of what's happened to the black community and Hassan and Lajan, I want you to chime in. Let me know if I'm if I'm way off target here, but I think that a lot of it has to do with having to be tough because of all the oppression and, and persecution that has happened throughout the centuries. So that is like kind of don't let him see you bleed. Don't let him see that he got to you. So we kind of created that monster, didn't we? Uh, I will say this, you know, I, I grew up in a very insulated situation in Garden Valley in Cleveland, Ohio, I knew a couple of guys who were very effeminate. I mean, extremely effeminate. And I saw with my own two little eyes, guys teasing them on the way home from junior high school. Everything that's not on the main two rails of society is always ostracized. And you're not allowed to express that. Maybe you do like a guy who looks like a girl but still has a penis because you're going to keep having guys with that Aaron Hernandez syndrome where I can't let the world know how I really feel about my own, you know, identity and what I'm attracted to. So anyone that threatens that, I beat them the hell up. Maintaining the toughness. So before we take our first call in guest, I want to throw it over to Joe and kind of saying, Joe, I think through this podcast, you've been vague about kind of where you stand on things uh, to an extent. Really? I feel like maybe I'm wrong. <sighs> but <laughs> Are you trying to be objective, Joe? I guess I'm trying to be objective. I mean, I respect that. But yeah, I, I think that anybody who judges what you do in the bedroom, if it's um, not abuse, then you should fuck off um i guess i guess their argument though is that it's abuse of what like sperm for procreation or something i don't even know like evolutionarily they're against it but we have enough people and it actually would benefit if we didn't keep having kids make so many yeah (laughs) right and premature ejaculation is not abuse no it isn't and masturbation keeps people from cheating how come every time Hassan's on the show, premature ejaculation <laughs> shows up? So, so Joe, jerk. have you felt ostracized by a specific group? And it's okay, whatever your answer is. I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I've outright experienced being ostracized for being queer. I do think growing up in Talmadge, Ohio, you have a pretty uh, sheltered view of like what is what. And I would even say stupid stuff when I was in seventh grade being like, 
well, you can't you can't be bi because that's just greedy. Make a choice. And it's like I'm parroting something that somebody else said sure. who like doesn't know. And I'm in seventh grade and I'm either prepubescent or hitting it and confused and covering it up with like whatever. And that's so dangerous because other people hear that stuff. Other people ingest it and then like perpetuate and believe it. You sadly hear so many stories of people who mm-hmm. take their lives mm-hmm. because they can't keep living these dual yeah. realities. And it's, or they, I mean, end, that's and they end up practicing an unsafe lifestyle because they have to stay so right. deep in the shadows that there are individuals who take advantage of the fact that they want their anonymity, but they still want to live in their truth. And that that's, that's sad. That's a real tough, yeah, that's... It is sad. Or they overcompensate mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. the on the other side of it, which is so damaging to the people who are trying to live yeah. truthfully and honestly. And, and they join Congress as Lindsey Graham did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a theory that Lindsey Graham's a pedophile, and that's yeah. why he's At such least a, sick a pedophile. Fan. Yeah. At least. He has to be even more than that. <laughs> All right. So, Hassan, who is our first calling guest? With us, guys, is a woman who, who I hold in very high esteem professionally, personally, spiritually. It's funny how people come across our path and we have an opportunity to really expand. And this person is a dynamite individual. Tabitha, how are you? Good. And I'm glad this is audio and not video. You would see me like super blushing right now. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Tabitha, can you give us a little snippet of background of who you are and why this topic is important to you? I am a Midwestern white girl from rural Ohio who managed to marry and reproduce, have a child with um, a black guy from New York whose family's from Haiti. So uh, (laughs) he's black, black. He's not like you American black, John. No. Okay. Even though I was raised by rural Ohio family, I had a father who was very like, we don't judge people on how they look or who they love or we like that. You judge people by how they act. That's awesome. He was progressive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a mom. I'm a single woman of a certain age, finally figuring out who she is. <laughs> I work at a university in Northeast Ohio. And I always assume, like, you work at a university, you kind of lean pretty left, right? And, and I didn't know this person well enough to really assume that. And she, she mentioned something and it was kind of like the whole, like, why can't we all just get along kind of thing that like white people like to say. And I was really awestruck. Like I couldn't even say anything back in that moment, but I was telling another friend and I was like, all I wanted to say was like, look at her and be like, I can't afford not to, care about this. I can't, you know, like you are literally talking to, yes, I am white, but I literally have a biracial child and a transgender child. Like this, these are not conversations I could just opt out of. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. See, I'm <laughs> very confused. Father. Hold on a second. We have to label out. Let's reorganize your entire family so I can understand. <laughs> two kids, two dads. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Put the weed down, Matt. Or at least share it, too. Really, share it. <laughs> you and I, it, it, uh, you know, for, for disclosure, let me, for disclosure, I'm uh, close to this to this situation more than a podcast producer. <laughs> Wait, what's your title? Podcast star? No, come on, Hassan, say it. <laughs> the producer. Just say, the producer. When they ask you, they say, what, what, what did you listen to? I was listening to that podcast going there. And they're like, who was the guest, girl? You just say, girl, it was the producer. <laughs> and you got to say it like that, the producer. There you go, <laughs> yes. You know, having a trans child, and especially when somebody thinks, oh, my kid, like they're thinking, oh, okay, so they're in their 20s or something. But your kid's younger than that. And obviously, you're very supportive of the entire thing. Well, I try to be very cognizant that my child's story is his own. He's generally comfortable with me talking about it. And for me, you know, this is partly my story, too, but from my perspective as a parent um, that I think is valuable to share. So my older son, who's the biracial one, he's in his 20s. He's fully adulting. 
congratulations to me, parenting win. And my trans kiddo, Oliver, he is now 13 and Mm. came out socially, kind of officially to the world a little over a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew we had started having conversations about it about a year before that. And I had known kind of generally something was up before that, but I just didn't know what it was yet. Can we talk about some of the difficulties? Because I think our nation is is getting a little bit better about the idea of gay, you know, quote unquote yeah. gay. But everything <laughs> beyond the L and G, <laughs> yeah. they get real weird about. They get real weird about, yeah. Yeah. And transphobia is a real thing. It's, it's, it's bad. It's really yeah. bad. The phobia. Yes, the phobia. Jesus. Let's be clear. Here. Yeah. She's like, oh, here it is. Another rural Ohio white boy. <laughs> you know, Tabitha, you know what else? Because, you know, of course, everyone's everyone's journey is, is that indeed their own. But it was interesting, I know, for me, seeing them boldly do their, you know, take their step, you know. Yeah, see, Ali, yeah. Cause, you, were, cause you were a part of that. You were From both sides. Yeah, from both yeah. both. You know, when when you and I had to have a conversation, and I don't think it was the first conversation I had to have, but it was one of the first conversations that as a parent of a younger person who I felt very much it was my job to navigate some of this with the adults around us versus just saying, well, if you want to do this, you have to, you know, have these conversations with adults, which that I don't, that's not fair to a child. So my 13-year-old is an actor, and which is how we know each other. But when you had written a piece that they had been in a year before in a female role, appearing female, and then, you know, you call me up a year later, and we're like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do this piece again. Isn't this exciting? I'm like, that's super exciting. But we have to talk. <laughs> because, so this person that you knew as as this name and, and this gender is literally in the midst of a transformation to recognize their real self as male. And this is the name that he's going by now. And you're like, oh, yeah, OK, cool. We'll just we'll figure it out. We'll change some stuff. It works. You know, so have I can't even emphasize how important and incredible and affirming having people like you, Hassan, actually in that, especially in that early part of having these kind of awkward, super awkward conversations when you're just like, oh, yeah, OK, no worries. We'll, we'll fix it. We'll figure it out. Well, and the reality is not everyone's going to be as cool as Hassan. And that, exactly. and that, and that really is the truth. Exactly. So I guess what I'm really interested to hear from you, Tabitha, is what do you want other people to know, especially adults and parents? Mm-hmm. You know, like the people just obviously they don't have enough experiences in their lives and they live in these bubbles yeah. and they're judgmental. And I will fall on my sword and say, I, I've said and done and thought so many bigoted, horrible things in the past. You know, but like everybody right. else, I'm just trying to learn. We all. And exactly. Mm-hmm. This is something that I think society is just starting to try to come to terms with. And we're having a really hard time because a lot of people just aren't oh, exposed yeah. to it. So what should everybody know? Like, how how do we do it where we can be respectful of the other person, whether or not they agree with it? You don't have to agree with what people are doing, but you need to be kind. Right. I mean, it's like... <laughs> I liken it to, you know, because, of course, we all get caught up in, like, pronouns, right? Like, that's kind of the flashpoint of trans conversations and and acceptance. And it's like, you know what? If I told you my name was John and that's what my parents named me, are you going to make fun of me and not call me by my name? Right. Like, no, you're going to call me by my name because that's what I told you my name is. So many times, I think too many people get caught up in the visuals. And this is this process of all of us having grown up with the binary, right? And part of this, the work that even I still am doing is trying to unautomatically put people in camps and not, and if you do, to not put them in a, but in these binary camps, right? And it's almost like, like the white and black thing too. Like, you know, I have friends who are, well, I mean, I have a son who's biracial. You can't tell what he is. 
you know, like people go, so what are you? We can't like, put you well, in a, a bucket. Human. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm stressed out because I can't put you in a white bucket or a black bucket, a girl and, bucket. And or to a boy an extent, bucket. that's just that's just how the human. <laughs> That's how the human brain works. So, yeah. you know, I don't think anyone should beat themselves up for it. But I think what's really great to see is when somebody makes a conscious effort like what you're doing to not do it because it is so easy. Yeah. And and I do want to tee up one really important point that you said is you said, you know, we're so stuck on the visual, at least from what I've heard from people who aren't trying to wrap their heads around it. That's what they think it is. For example, and I'm I'm speaking in somebody else's voice. This is just a boy who likes to dress up like a girl. Mm-hmm. You know, they think it's just this shallow visual, but obviously, right. it's so much more than that, right? And those are the people I want to introduce to my son. I'm like, okay, so let me explain this to you. I have a child who was assigned female at birth, and even as a three year old came up to me one day and said, Mom, I think I'm kind of half boy and half girl. And I was like, okay. But then to come out and say, no, actually, I, I want to use he, him pronouns, but is still in some ways, like, and I struggle with this, and this is how I struggle in the binary, is having a son who is transgender, but who would have been had he been born assigned male at birth, as that boy who wore dresses. Yeah. Yep. But still was a boy. Right. Have you ever heard of Two-Spirit? Yes, I have. So for, I guess, the rest of the podcast listeners. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's pan-Indian umbrella term for people who are, I guess you would call a third gender. They're like mm-hmm. in between lesbian and gay Male, female. I mean, when you talked about visuals, it's like in in Western American culture, we are in a binary world. But this has been something that has existed for a very long time, that there are even terms Mm -hmm. in indigenous cultures that people can be a little bit of both. Yeah. At the same time, I kind of understand from an OCD standpoint, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're human beings, especially a, a type personalities like myself. We want to have labels on everything. It helps us categorize and organize our lives. And yeah. And like you said, the human brain, that's, that's what we do. Like it's our shorthand. Yeah. You know how I fight against it? I fight against it by doing whatever the fuck I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's no better way to fight against it. You're a nihilist. I mean, that's the only way you fight against it. Yeah. I mean, like, but like with not violence. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, 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 no. Don't fight that way. Yeah. Fighting in a oh. metaphorical sense. Right. 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 Yeah, 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 Let's yeah, just yeah. make sure no one takes this. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I, I was talking about violence. LeJohn <laughs> yeah. just punched out Tyler. Um, we soundproofed the uh, studio and it sounded. Exactly. You, you couldn't hear it at all. Yeah. And, and this isn't. I want to. I want to ask if if there's an instance only because we have to learn from the mistakes hopefully of others before we make them ourselves i mean has your has your son felt any kind of discrimination or teasing or you know bullying maltreatment any of that i know i'm sure there has been instances we are we're very lucky in that he goes to a small school right now that's been very welcoming ironically up till now the worst he's he's heard um has actually been from his father so the father of your trans son is yeah has not been supportive and has said terrible things kind of come around since but early on um took a long time was very much in the oh this is just a trend camp there can be a sense of oh this is just trendy and a lot of the young kids are doing it right now but when in fact what it is is that the younger generation are much more open about it. They're they're seeing these brave examples of adults who are coming out, who are telling stories, and, and they have language for it. You know, I have friends who are trans who are in their 60s and are like, I didn't have language for this. I just thought it was fucked up. You know, like, I didn't know that there was such a thing. Um, and so I think it can look like it's it's a trend and, and we're all talking about it right now and the kids are really into it when that's not really the case. So it really was this dismissiveness of identity of of his yeah. of himself and would not use the correct pronouns, refused to um call him by a different name, 
for a long time. Luckily, <laughs> we're divorced and um, he doesn't see him very often. He saw him more often at that point. Um, so I know that had to be really, really difficult to get that from your parent on top of it. Like it's not just someone you don't know who's being stupid and you can kind of write it off as like, oh, well, they're just ignorant and that's not somebody I know. So I don't have to like live with that all the time. But to have someone that close to you be so dismissive of yourself, you know, after spending years of anxiety um, and not knowing what caused the anxiety and then having this start to come out was like, oh, okay. I'm just glad that we have words to use to talk about it. So, and I know that, you know, he's getting ready to go to high school next year. I'm of course, as a mother, more worried about a lot of this stuff going forward. That that really that really pisses me off because I, I as a parent, I so believe in everything starting from the home. You know, it, it starts at the, at the base, and as far as children understanding, yeah. knowing their worth, knowing how special and how awesome they are, um, that has to start from the base, man. And to have that kind of treatment from the base. See, this is why I was talking mm-hmm. about violence, because I want to find this motherfucker now. You know what I'm saying? Oh, but, and, and, you, you, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get it going on that. That's a whole other show. Exactly. Yeah, that's a whole other show. That's a whole other show. <laughs> this week's musical highlight is actually our next guest. Hassan, why don't you tell us who's on the phone with us? We have with us Miss Natalie Martin. How you doing, Natalie? I'm wonderful. I heard that you work with the ukulele and the bass. My main instrument was actually the piano for over a decade. I got my degree in singing from a school out in Hollywood. So the ukulele is the newest instrument in my life, and I've been playing it since about 2016. My band, Dream States, has uh, has five full-length albums of original music and uh, one of covers. And I personally have four records, two from pre-transition and two from post-transition. For the audience's sake, they might not understand what you say when you said you did some recordings pre- and post-transition. What's your story? When I was 18, I flew from Ohio to Reno, Nevada to meet up with a professional drum and bugle corps called the Santa Clara Vanguard. And then after two years of touring the country, and I lived in L.A. for six years, I moved back to Ohio in 2009 with my then fiancé, who is now my ex-wife. And we started a family. We have two kids. And then around 2013, I came out as transgender. And that's been sort of, you know, my life since. I had to quit my job as a DJ because it was just not going to work out uh, with transitioning in front of a whole bunch of people. I came out when my ex-wife was eight months pregnant with our second kid. Not an ideal time. Wow. But it definitely shaped my relationship with my kids because I've been uh, a woman who they call daddy their whole lives. And that's all they've ever known. And we have an absolutely wonderful relationship, my kids and I, and I have a a wonderful friendship with their mom right now. I need you to educate me and really my audience um, as a, what you'd say, a cis white male. You know, a lot of people have the hard time wrapping their heads around it. Um, I think there's the preconceived notion that, oh, you just one day decided to do this, you know, and, 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 oh, wow. And you did this at such a horrible time. And obviously you knew this, I'm assuming most of your life, right? If not all your life. Absolutely. I've known since I was four. Yeah. I, I first got a hint of something being amiss about what I was being called in this world, uh, when I was four years old. And there's actually a really cool scientific explanation for trans people that most people don't ever delve into. So we all start as female in the womb, all of us. That's something that we kind of learn in elementary science. But what doesn't get informed is that as the baby grows, there's a chemical that the mom's body releases that tells the baby, the fetus, how to respond to things like testosterone. That chemical reads the DNA and it's supposed to tell the baby that if it's going to be a male, then it's got to develop into male. And if it's going to be female, then it can just stay as is. And every now and then, that chemical is not as strong as it should be, when it should be strong. It Sometimes you can have a fetus that is resistant to this chemical, right? And so if you have a baby who is resistant to this chemical in the beginning stages or the supply of this chemical is weak, 
then you will get a baby whose brain does not develop past the female stage. But then once that chemical kicks in, the body will develop into the male stage and you get a baby with a genetically female brain and a genetically male body. If it's too strong at the beginning and then wanes off, you might get a baby with a male brain and a female body. And it's actually a pretty easy scientific explanation for the existence of trans people and intersex. It can happen every stop along the way from too much to too little. You can have hundreds of possible different variations on a baby. Right. God damn. That's the basic science behind trans people. I I just sat here and understood that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I sat here and I listened to you. I mean, that's that's the trick. (laughs) And that's the trick, right? That's the problem. I sat here and I I took something that I didn't have much knowledge about and I listened to you. Like, what the fuck? That should make it to ninth grade biology. The same time we're learning about DNA and RNA. Mm. And so even if you can't wrap your head around the scientific aspect of it, when it comes down to this is who I am, why? the hell do you care (laughs) if you're somebody else it does not affect you like you can have you can have your opinion but why would you treat somebody differently and especially as we've seen why would you violently act out against because it's easy man it's fucking easy right it's easy it's easy it's easy to overlook the fact that being trans is is an act of self-betterment it's it's about making yourself the best possible version of yourself that you can be and when i was Existing in 2013, I hit this wall where I was angry at everybody all the time, and I knew I wasn't being my best me. I knew that there was more of me that I could put on display for the world, but I felt this wall in my way. And I was I was hating every guy I came across because it was just so easy for them to be men. And I was hating every woman I came across because I was just filled with jealousy. Like, why do you get to wear pink? And so I I realized one night as I was driving home that it wasn't all them that I was hating on. I was just, you know, um, projecting onto all of them. Projecting. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. And I think that's where some of the hate on the other side comes from is projection. Like, like we talked about, you have somebody who has these, they might actually feel that way. And looking at somebody who's trans or gay reminds them of what's inside of them and and those kind of repressed feelings. And that's as Americans, especially as males, we're raised and taught. If you get these weird feelings, you push them down, you push them down until they go away. Would you speak to this phenomenon that some of that violence happens when an instance of a, a guy says he doesn't know that you are transgender? And now when his friends find out, then that violence happens, the the ostracized, demonized, you know, all this energy, this negative energy starts from that point. Can you speak on that? Well, I know that trans panic is the name of the excuse that they give that. And whether Hold on, guys. Did you know that? No, I'd never heard of that. Never heard of that at all. Transparent. Yeah, believe it or not, it's an actual excuse that you can give to a court, well. and it can excuse you from even a murder charge. Wait, 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 wait. What? How? Yes. The, and there's history of this. There's a precedent for it. If you claim you didn't know the person was trans and they didn't disclose that to you, you can be legally considered not in control of your reaction to that. And that it's actually something that's had to be outlawed in multiple states, but sadly is still legal in states like Ohio. You can claim trans panic and you can get away with causing severe, if not fatal damage to a trans person. People sat down and thought that was, that was a good idea. Are you serious? Yeah. So it's not just, okay, this wasn't a hate crime. It's not like knocking it down in severity. It's actually pleading insanity. Yes, it's very similar to pleading oh insanity, temporary insanity. Except you don't have to go to a mental institution. Or do anything. Yeah, yeah you just yeah, have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just have to. Just exist. Yeah, become a senator. Right. And this is an excuse that can be used whether or not it's actually true. It's something that happens, and it's, it's very, very disheartening to an entire community. Yeah, it makes you kind of like not really believe in society or the law. It's like, why would you want to follow the other rules that society's making you follow if they're also saying, well, we can also just kill you? This is where they'll bring in the Bible or some kind of scripture, some kind of gospel and say, right. yeah, but this is wrong. And in reality, I I say that, oh, it can happen whether or not it's true. In reality, it's it's definitely a lie more often than not. It's, it's a thing that can happen 
and it happens all the time because you have to understand only about 10% of the entire trans community is what we would refer to as cis passing. And that term is really sort of disgusting to me because I'm not passing as a woman at all. I am a woman. But there's only, there's a small, small percentage of us would actually be able to be seen or viewed by somebody and not be instantly recognized as trans. There, there's a lot of women like me who no matter how much they do, how many how many years they're on hormones, they're still going to be 5'8 with broad shoulders. Trans panic defense, it sounds like it's, it's a mental health issue and not for trans people, but for all of these people who are like, they are obviously struggling with something because if you get into a situation where that's the case and then you need to kill that other person because you are panicking, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we are a fetish to people. We we are fetishized to no end. And people can watch all the pornography they want to watch with trans women in it and have as much enjoyment of that as they please in their privacy. And then when they when they actually turn that privacy and that fantasy into reality, it gets too real. And then they act out on it. It's a crime. And it's it's really sad. It's really shaped how I behave in this world and how much I allow myself to be sexualized. Even though I have a feminine body now, I don't show it off because it is not my goal to be fetishized. And it's already way, way, way too easy for people to look at, at me and see nothing more than one of their deep secret fantasies. And I'm not here for that. And I didn't even know like that was a big, deep, dark fetish going on. And and then somebody shared an article with me not long ago, and I was I was actually a little surprised. So I think, like you said, there's a lot of fetish to it. And I think that's where the, the anger, the projection, and then obviously the violence come from. I want to end on a high note. So let me just say, first of all, I'm so sorry. I think we all just feel so much empathy for you having heard the things that you've gone through and some of the things that you've seen and what the entire community experiences. It's it's heartbreaking. What is very enlightening is how researched, educated, and eloquent you are on explaining it in such a simple manner, which isn't even your job to do. It should be other people's, but you go out of your way to do that. I really appreciate that. No, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So please keep speaking your truth and please keep making your music. We're really excited to share uh, one of your pieces right now on the podcast. And just thank you for being you and thank you for being honest and for going there. And so where can people find your music? My band is Dreamscape. So we, you can find all of that on Spotify, on SoundCloud. We're on Apple Music. And Dream States is spelled with one word, but Dream and States both capitalized. So there's a big capital F in the middle of the word. For all the kids saying, let me be me. All the people living outside the binary. The ones who flow like a summertime swing on a tree. The individual who's beautiful and neither he nor she. Who's going to rock for the kids marching proud and parade. The ones who cut through the silence because there's lives to be saved. The ones who sacrificed and offer us and paved the way. The ones who work so hard to make tomorrow better day. Who's going to rock for the kids saying let me be seen. All the people living outside the binary. The ones who flow like a summertime swing on a tree. The All right, Hassan, would you like to introduce our guest? <laughs> Hassan, put the fucking Legos down and introduce our guest. Yes. Now, look, they need to hear this shit, man. They need to hear that grown-ups do grown-up things. Oh. <laughs> hey, there it is. Our next guest, guys. Uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing, gosh, I want to say two decades. He's an amazing artist on stage, film. Uh, he's a... A makeup artist extraordinaire. Uh, he's a chef. He's a vocalist. He has an amazing sense of humor. Damn, I cannot get this thing open. <laughs> Fucking weed jar. Where did you buy this weed? <laughs> it's not a jar. This thing is a. Uh, it's a hey, pouch. I thought this was about me. <laughs> it is. Listen, we have an amazing artist with us today, and a good friend, Sir Mylon Cartwright. How you doing, Mylon? 
I'm good. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. Go in there. And it was funny because Hassan was like, yeah, his name's Sir Mylan. And I kept thinking he was knighted. Like it was Sir <laughs> Mylan. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, I've been knighted. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how long have you known Sir Patrick Stewart? No. Um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. I am just a fat boy from the inner city of Cleveland. Um, I was a change of life baby because my parents had me in their 40s. So my siblings are all in their 60s. I'm only 45. I knew at a very, very, very young age, I'm going to say like, I'm really going to say like three or four that I knew that I wanted to be something bigger than my environment. And I took the necessary precautions to do just that. And I started this journey as a singer. Like I've been a singer for a very, 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 very long time. You know, God blessed me with a lot of gifts. Um, you know, I went to high school for culinary arts. I went to college for theater. Um, I got kicked out of Kent State for a year because of parking tickets. Hey, and I ended up taking <laughs> two semesters out. And um, I went to hair school. And I finished hair school in 10 months. And then went back to Kent State and finished out my degree in theater. I learned a lot at Kent State, but back then in the late 90s, you know, to me, it was very uh, extremely segregated. Like, it wasn't that many black people. It was in a predominantly white school in a predominantly white town. I want to say that it was a lot of racism there. Because in the theater department, like, we were geared to do, like, all-American plays. I would play, like, a slave or, like, <laughs> uh, a butler. And I was like, I don't want to fucking be that. Like, yes, a master. <laughs> like, it, I was like, I don't want to do that. So I went on the flip side of it and started to be more involved in the Costuming and hair and makeup. I sure can that good for you now, baby. That'll be four thousand dollars, please. <laughs> Go right. park in Ravenna. You folks want some pancakes? Did you experience other forms of bigotry, like homophobia? I did, but it's funny that the homophobia and the racism that I um, experienced the most was from other Black people. Let's kind of talk about that. I guess the way Hassan said it earlier is essentially, you know, you have people who are marginalized and who are discriminated against and oppressed. And then there's the subculture within that culture. Yeah. And some of the mainstream people are because of religion, because of bad politics are suddenly. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, fighting for black rights, but then turning around and being like, but I don't support gay people or I don't support, right. you know, man, I, I can only imagine how that feels. I mean, I can't. I can only pretend I, I get it and I don't. Of course you can't, Matt. I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was very tough because believe it or not, I, I started, you know, getting the racism and the homophobia within my family. And that was one of the reasons why I tried very, very hard to get away from them. My mother um, was had a very eclectic, very stoic personality and did not approve of me being gay, did not approve of me being feminine, and did not approve of me wanting to go into the entertainment business. My father treated me like a prince. I got a lot of my, um, you know, comedy and being the life of the party from my dad because he was that guy. And my father was very, very supportive, which is very odd because, you know, especially in the black family, it's usually the father who's the one that's yeah. resisting and my dad was not resistant at all. He was very, very supportive. You know, he bought me, you know, makeup brushes, hair products, tap shoes, paid for voice lessons, acting lessons, dance lessons, because believe it or not, I'm 365 pounds. But, you know, as a kid, I took ballet for a very long time, actually. That's a big, sexy 355 pounds. Big and I did not change. Like, I still was that Mylon. I still was that person. And one of the things that happened to me six months of working with it, I had been accused of using the female restroom. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, uh -huh. why would I have used a female restroom? Like, they took me to the generalist and to HR. And they were saying, like, we have people 
who said they've seen you use that restroom, which was totally untrue. Wait, this was at Chase Bank? This was at Chase. And they didn't have cameras monitoring their building enough to check the footage? No. That's interesting. <laughs> she thought I was a dummy. And I went in there and I, and I said, show me what you got. And I'm telling you that I didn't do it, but you're telling me that I did. And I need to see the footage. Like, you know, prove to me that you have evidence that I did this because they were going to fire me. And when I said that to her, she changed her tune. <laughs> and she was like, well, just, just let, let this be a slap on the wrist. And, you know, <laughs> please refrain from using the female restroom. Please refrain from me trying to set you up, okay? Okay, because it's embarrassing for me to get caught in a lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we can't have that. Guys, we uh, <laughs> we have to take a quick pause to call out our sponsor, Chase Bank. You can visit the... <laughs> <laughs> Their security camera blind spots are... <laughs> are you a gay man wanting to use a woman's restroom? Go to Chase Bank. <laughs> Go to Chase Bank. I know <laughs> I brought up an article, and and I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on this. Okay. This is from the North Texas Daily, and it said a lot of black LGBTQ plus individuals are often forced to choose between identifying with their blackness or their sexual orientation. Do you think there's validity to that statement? Should I, should I, I'm saying, should I answer that question from my own? Uh, yeah, feelings? no, from you. I mean, you yeah, can, yeah, you yeah, can yeah, only yeah. speak for you. And that bitch at Chase Bank. Yeah, and that bitch at Chase Bank. <laughs> and she was black, too. She was a black bitch, too. Uh, God damn it. For me, I only was able to identify as being a gay man because I was so ostracized by the black community. I was kind of trying to feel settled and comfort in whatever I was being who I was, if that makes any sense. Like I was more focused for a long period of time on being gay because that was important. Even when I was at Kent, because people did not, and a lot of the black communities and the black Greeks did not want to be dealing with me or whatever. But I was always asked to do things with the female Greek organization. Like I was, I was, I used to put on fashion shows and hair shows and I used to produce them and put them on and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it was very difficult to identify being black, even though I couldn't because it was inevitable because I am black. I'm a fucking black African American fat person from the inner city. <laughs> but because I stood out, I was always like the gay guy. You know, the, you know, I guess to answer your question, like I, I think I was forced uh, to be more um, endeared to my sexuality. I, I, okay, I dig it, and and I would love to back up if we can real quick because I was so impressed with you saying how your father accepted as much as he did and we were just having a conversation earlier about how you know in the black community being tough and being masculine being strong and everything is so important and um to the topic that we're talking about and everything is looked at as you know mm -hmm. this is how you got to be because i don't know if 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 you know anybody else who 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 is gay or whatnot who had that kind of acceptance from their dad not many like, yeah that's really impressive to me and, um, because I, like i told you in the beginning like i was a change of life baby like my father was having kidney problems because because he was an alcoholic. And my mother was like, if I have this baby motherfucker, yeah. you will stop drinking. And he did. Ooh. So my father was, in, I'm, I'm emotional because I was very close to him. My father died in 2010 and my mama just died um, October the 26th of 2019. And my mother hated our relationship because she felt like that he was coddling me and not really making me masculine because that was something that was, because me and my brothers are like night and day. Let me fix your brakes. You know what I'm saying? Did you just yell, let me fix your brakes? <laughs> yes, my, bro my brothers are like, manly oh. shit. Yeah, like this manly, though. They know about that yeah, kind of yeah. shit. That's, it's real. And, you know, me and Hassan grew up, you know, in, relatively in the same neighborhood. You know, it, it was very important that you show some type of strength because if you were weak, you know, they was going to fuck with you. So we really need to redefine these terms, right? Because it's not masculinity we're talking about, it's hyper masculinity. Absolutely. It's the. If you don't fit this mold, you're a bitch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and and it's not yeah. just the black community by any means. Well, I think the Caucasian community is a little bit more um, open. Like it's it's usually like the trailer park ones that's kind of be like coffee. What the fuck? <laughs> they are a little bit more accepting because they don't really see gender. I believe they don't really see gender. They see like we're just people, rich people. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, when you're rich, you can be whatever the fuck you want. You can be whoever you want. My point was, we have to redefine the terms of what being a man is. Being a man has nothing to do with your sexuality. Being a man has nothing to do with who you love. Being masculine, whatever term you want to use. I mean, you showed strength through what you do. To me, that's much more brave than the dude who's like walking around and fronting, yep. you know, and, and sticking his chest out and acting like he doesn't have emotions. Because that person obviously has some mental health issues. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, my gay male friends, they always like, you know, I just could not be in the same room with all those straight men. Like you really, and I handle these men. I handle any man, but I handle them and they give me my respect. And I think it's because I'm confident in who I am. Like I'm, there's no, is he gay or is he not gay? Like it's, oh, he gay. Then they have no reason but to accept it. But growing up, I dealt with the bullying and I was, I was a fighter. So it was like, you're not about to be talking to me in any type of way. I'm going to whoop your ass. There we go. But I am, and because of my sexuality, I have went through many stages to try to conform to fit in. And yet, and still, I was still judged about because it was very taboo back in, you know. But you got, yeah, you got to understand, yeah, in the, in the black community, flamboyant could be just your uh, different eye color contact. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. And to believe it or not, like, I didn't, I didn't sleep with a man until I was 21. Wow. Even though I was tried with what we call in the black gay community by trade, which is straight men who want to, you have a little tickle here and there. Yeah, the backdoor shit. And you know the back, you know backdoor shit. They want to, you know, do it in their grandma's basement. You know, they all that kind of stuff. But where the term "living on the down low," the DL, where that whole thing came from. Yeah, guys who are like absolutely they play the straight man in public and not necessarily in private because they're yeah embarrassed or ashamed of themselves or whatever. Yeah, because that's the brave thing. I have a lot of straight friends, and they were saying like I couldn't be what you are like you are strong i've been raped i have been gay bashed i have been set up i have went through a lot and i've still rose from the occasion like a phoenix to the fire my brothers weren't the protective brothers because they were embarrassed of it and my oldest brother like he didn't want to deal with me at all and now we are the best of friends how about that it's sad that it takes for somebody to have that in their family to finally mm-hmm. grasp it and try to understand it. it. It's sad that it takes that, but at least it broke through and got, got to him. You know, I mean, that, well, that's... my dad kept people off of me. Like, my siblings, I mean, like, leave him alone. Like, leave him alone. That's awesome. Like, he, at least he ain't out here selling drugs. Like, y'all motherfuckers. <laughs> Man, you have no idea how refreshing this is to hear that. My siblings were a lot, were jealous were and very envious of that. Because, my especially my brothers, because it was like, he's gay. Like, he's an embarrassment. And you didn't have to earn it. It was just there. It was just there. It was just there because I was a, I was a very I was a very obedient kid. Like I was extremely obedient. I did. I don't I buy that for a I, second. <laughs> I was like, I, that's why I tried to get away from the motherfuckers. Like I just like I can't do this. You know, but I did what I was told, and I get I went over and beyond when it came to um, even you know in, in my parents transitioning to death. Like I took me and my sister took care of them. And I went over and beyond. You know, I cut my mom, you know, cut my dad's hair, cut his beard. Like my mother kind of treated me like how women treat their daughters. African American moms are very tough on their daughters. Yeah. And they're very um passive with their sons. And my mom had that type of relationship with me. Like she was extremely tough on me. And my mother made me extremely self-sufficient. So I had to learn how to cook and wash clothes and wash dishes and all that kind of stuff. I'm not white. We didn't we didn't grow up with a dishwasher, so we had Dawn. <laughs> Hold on a second. I didn't grow up with a dishwasher either, okay? I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Matt lying his ass off. <laughs> I mean, we had to fire him after he stole our silverware. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. Hassan, you were sharing with me that you knew somebody who was really involved with black rights and uh, Black Lives Matter and things like that, but who simultaneously was like very much opposed to pushing forward any LGBTQ plus equality, justice, whatever. Because to them, to them, that's part of a an overarching agenda to feminize the black man mm. and stop us from procreating. 
Mm. That's that's the black end of the QAnon stuff. (laughs) (laughs) On the white end of the spectrum, you got QAnon people who think, you know, people are eating babies and are sexual pedophiles. And on the black end, you got, well, Mylan is full of some demonic possession in their mind. some there's some malady involved. It's a genetic. Yeah, he he's that way from birth because it's a genetic defect. You get that black mindset that's extremely active, and then you get the one where they'll just come out and say, "I'm going to speak against it because it is not natural. It is not holy. It is not sanctioned." Mm-hmm. And that is a real strain of people in our community, and they, they will do. close their door on their 13 year old child. Uh huh. Well, I mean, briefly, like, I have had several conversations with people who I have been very direct with them, you know, who had was like, you know, what happened to you as a child? I feel like, you know, somebody, um, I was never molested. So I wasn't turned this way. I was born this way. Have you witnessed from your standpoint, especially more from the fact that you're in the creative arts, transphobia as well? Yes. And I am one who at one time my life was transphobic interesting because i did like i was very uncomfortable it was a um a trans trans she was fully trans like she had the full shaboying and because i was it was kind of weird to me but i was she was very interesting like how did that happen and she literally um educated me on a lot and i'm talking about i was like 16 so yeah, like I, I can honestly say that I was, I was a person that was that had, you know, a phobia for trans because I just didn't understand it. You weren't openly gay at this time, were you? I didn't know what I was at that time. For all intents and purposes, you were a gay black man who was still transphobic. Which, I mean, one, I got to say, thank you so much for being honest and sharing that because I think I'm a straight white guy. I've been homophobic, transphobic. There's been a lot of things that I've had to kind of work on in, in myself because we're culturally taught all these bad, horrible things. Yeah. You want to talk about dissecting communities into smaller and smaller and smaller things. And it's like, mm-hmm. even the LGBTQ, it's like, even within that, there's all these different communities, and sometimes you will get people who aren't supporting another on an individual level. They are. It's like you're at the. It's like you're in middle school and you're at the cafeteria, and you're like, "Who do I sit with? These people are popular. Yes. They won't let me sit yeah. there. These are the nerds. They're they are in the way. I don't want to be associated with them. Yeah. It's like, how do you set yourself apart? Another thing in the gay community is that this big. It's like no fats, no fems. Like they don't want a fat person. They don't want a feminine person. They don't want a trans. You know, they, they want to deal with, you know, masculinity. I thought bears were popular. Bears are popular. Well, isn't that, I mean, isn't that essentially, see, it shows you how ignorant I am. I assumed it was just mm-hmm. bigger men, bigger, hairier men. Well, then there's the chubs. Oh. I, I'm in between. I'm a chubby bear. <laughs> I think I had one of those growing up. <laughs> I bet you did. I bet you did. But um, yeah, there, there, there are the bears. But bears um signify masculinity because usually they're just like thicker men, and they're hairy. Yeah, like lumberjacks. Yeah, they're burly. So that's a you know the epitome of masculinity with Tom. So Mylan, before we let you go, what is something that all of us over here can do in our communities to make acceptance more widespread? Just be yourself. That's it. Like, be yourself and treat people like you want to be treated. The simplest form, ain't it? Ain't, ain't, it is. The like, simplest thing. Sir Mylon, I, I love the fact that you embrace your absolute full potential of self. And that's 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 so dope to me, man. And um again, you really Thank you. You really jacked me up with the with the fatherly support and jacked me up in a good way because it's like, damn, man, if if there was so much more of that, the outcomes that we could possibly have in the black community, man, in this in this regard would just be amazing it would be Mm, mm, mm. that's awesome that's why it's important that we have them on to use the platform thanks for coming by and visiting with us my good man love you peace little brother homophobia has been around forever transphobia is something that i think we're finally coming to terms with as a nation even worldwide uh you know i think it's just really great to have these candid conversations and talk through this stuff 
you know, I mean, we've all said stuff that was regrettable and we all said things that were ignorant. But really, I mean, it just comes down to, like LeJohn said earlier, just being willing to listen to somebody and hear their story. And I can't imagine hearing any of the stories today and being like, well, you're still a shitty person because the Bible said so. I don't know. I, I just... I feel like I don't have a lot to say on the matter from, you know, the white perspective, because I'm kind of the bad guy in all of this, if you really think about it. But I, I guess really what I want to say is thank you to everybody, our callers and our and our uh, hosts here for just really going there and talking about something that I think is going to make some people uncomfortable. And I am very OK with that. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Uh, Joe? Or... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like I'm cutting out uh, my head. But go ahead. As somebody who is queer and brown, and I have Arab family who I haven't even really had that conversation with about how I'm queer because I just don't even want to, and I know that I'm going to be judged poorly. I don't need that shit. Um, I would say to all of the brown people judging, there are people in their community who are... Um, on the spectrum um, of LGBTQ to realize that whatever white patriarchal society has told you to judge the people within your own group, that all this is doing is making you weaker as a community. The hate and the judgment only hurts you and it helps the people who are keeping you down, man. Yeah, man, that's great. Seriously, thank you for that, Joe. That's, 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 a, that's a bold statement. And it's just like, for me, to be a black man and growing up in, in the neighborhoods that I did where once again, I got to harp on being strong, being tough and having that perception of having to be such to be educated today on things that on, on perspectives that I've never thought about, never really took the time to think about, never really, really saw. Um, that means a lot, man. It's str- that that's that's huge for me. And that but that's just the point, though, to be willing to be educated on something that, hey, it's okay, you just may not know that much about. Hey, it's okay, you maybe just haven't experienced that much of. It's okay to sit and listen, and that is the key. Being willing to sit and listen and be educated on something that maybe is just not your personal experience. I feel like there are a lot of people who want to be educated and want to learn, but they are scared to offend people. So uh, I think that there are a lot of people who mean well and you know are pro-equality but they are scared to offend a trans person by saying the wrong thing or a gay person by saying the wrong thing just know that if your heart is about learning and growing that that's good I feel like everyone that we spoke to today just wants you to ask questions and and want to learn and they have just as much of a sense of humor about it as you do, you know, when you're coming from a place of care and love. That's why I was really impressed by everyone today because, I, I, man, I'm still nervous about treading some of those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for saying that. That's Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's important that we, we don't view ourselves as a small cog in a big machine, but see ourselves as, you know, individual systems. And there are lots of people who interact with you. So when you have a chance to engage with someone who may be going through a transition or a parent or a child who who may be uh, coming out, it puts you in an extremely important position for milestones for that person's development. So at least at that point in their lives, they say, yeah, you know, when I did this, you know, these people that are around me, they're very supportive and they wanted me to be happy, healthy and whole. And if we can look beyond that which divides us and go back to the humanity of it all, we'll find a way to actually lift each other up more often than tearing each other down. So that's how I see it. It was a great day for us, man. We got people to share some things that uh, I I like to say we uncovered some uncomfortable truths. So I love hanging out with you guys. We appreciate your time and your amazing producer skills on this episode. The producer. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't joking. I was being honest. Yes, you. Oh, yes, you were. See, here's the bad part about you. Like you, you maybe were. Maybe you were joking, but maybe you were. You know what's funny is sometimes I don't know. <laughs> but no. But realistically, I mean, for people out there, Hassan 
essentially produced this episode, as in getting the guests, li- lining up our music, lining up all of the people and the, and the different parts of the topics. Because the people are actually being serious because I approach them very soberly, Matt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I really put my super producer hat on. Uh, like, going there <laughs> has been the shit since since 1910. And again, I think it comes down to acknowledging the fact that we're all a little naive when it comes to people from different walks of life than our own. Hey, I want, before we, before we stop rolling, I want, I want people to know that and li- listen up. No, no, no. Cause this has to be acknowledged, Matt, you, since the, the, the virus and George Floyd, I bet you can look back and see there has been a fire clicked on with you. That if Corona wasn't in the way right now, guys, we might be, you know, offering content on streaming services with contracts now. You know, there's a fire in you, man, that's different. It's it's not different in that it's not you, but it's a, 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 a like a white hot you without any filter. And you're, you know, you're fighting against some things that have always bothered you. And that's a good thing. So uh, I applaud you for that, man. That's a good thing, bro. I honestly can't stress enough how much those words mean to me because I'm not doing it obviously for the recognition, but when somebody sees it and says something and even more appreciates it, I mean, it makes every ounce of effort worth it in spades. And what I'll add to that is, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I think George Floyd was the straw that broke the camel's back. I think for a lot of people, but for me, I feel unwhole. I feel unfinished. If there's something that is broken in a system, and especially when I have no control over it, it drives me nuts. Specifically, it's like, holy shit, I'm not doing enough as a white voice in my community. Yeah. I just wasn't. Now, you know, you know, I love my boy, George W. W said, you know, we can be a thousand points of light, man. And uh, being that point of light is our own choice. It's our own choice. We can either, you know, illuminate the path for someone and be something good for them. Or we can stick to status quo. I love that we're fighting against status quo and building a better us. We just went there. Now you can go to thegoingtherepodcast.com for links to our socials and all the places you can hear the podcast. You've been listening. You either love us or hate us a lot. So make sure to leave us a review, give us a rating, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. We'll be watching. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsey Baker, Tyler Kubisti, Michael Madgar, Joe Cali, and Bobby Thomas. Oh,